can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Hello, America. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show, and this is Friday, so we will be doing our news roundup. We got lots of news on the agenda. We just were watching the debate, the Republican debate in Florida, and we have elections re- results from Tuesday. So we'll be looking at both of those things. So stay with us, and we'll be right back. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back. I would like to remind everybody that Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. You can find him at his website, victorhanson.com. And you can join us for $5 a month or $50 a year to read the VDH Ultra articles. And those are copious and lots of different things in farming and in current politics and in warfare. And then also he has his angry reader as part of those VDH VDH Ultra articles. So come join us. Well, Victor, there's a lot on the agenda tonight. I know that we were just currently watching the debates, and I was wondering if you had some reflections on how our Republican Party is doing in general. Well, we're one day after the um, Tuesday elections, and the Kentucky race didn't turn out very well, 
uh, Andy Bashir was reelected Democrat. And how do you do that in Kentucky? A lot of reasons that people cite, but still it's a reflection. There's something wrong with the Republican Party. And then Glenn Youngkin did a yeoman job canvassing the entire state of Virginia to expand his house to include a Senate majority. Then he would be able to rush through a conservative agenda. And he'd, he not only did not take the state Senate, he lost the house. So now he's stymied for the next two years. He will not be able to pass anything. And the abortion, um, anti-abortion uh, anti platform is sort of inert. Ohio had a, uh, a referendum to allow abortions. So it's the, the general consensus is that the Republicans have all of the issues, but they lack three key things. They're not organized. They don't have the money. And they don't understand that the Democrats are looking for wedge issues that bring people out to vote on one particular item, and that is abortion. So if you forget whether the pro-life or pro-choice position would get the moral, I know people are going to say, you can't get the morality. I, I'm very anti-abortion, but that issue has been demagogued by the Democrats so that if you have an eight-week or nine-week ban, it's, it's political suicide unless you can raise dollar for dollar uh, what the Democrats do. And then you can make the argument that partial birth abortion, which is eight or 9,000 a year, is, is murder or whatever you want to do. But you just can't go to a red echo chamber and say, red state echo chamber and said, oh, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-choice. I'm pro this. I'm pro they don't do that. They raise the money and they organize and then they demagogue it. And then they say women are going to be killed in back alleys and Republicans want to get into your womb and all that. And all Republicans do, they said, I'm pro-life. It's the wrong, right choice. It's the I'm not going to budge. And then we're going to ban abortions at eight or nine weeks. And that's a losing issue politically. That's what they found out. Yeah. So now... You've only got a year left. And look what we lo we're looking at in Connecticut with all that ballot stuffing that we had people working for the registrar going out and stuffing ballots in mail drop. And that's going to happen. And the Republicans don't believe any of these polls that say Trump is five points ahead. He's, he's, he's winning. It's going to be a blowout. No. I learned my lesson in the midterms, last midterms. I thought they would win 30, 30 seats. I was so wrong because of abortion and balloting. As a general rule, if you're a Republican candidate, you must be four to five points ahead in the polls to break even on Election Day because your constituencies, 70% of them will show up on Election Day and 70% of theirs won't. When you vote on Election Day, usually with an ID in most states, they can ascertain who you are. When you have a mail-in ballot, they cannot. There's no way to ascertain the validity of that ballot, and the Democrats know that. So essentially, two-thirds of their voters are not audited, and 170% or two-thirds of Republicans are. And then the other problem is when you say, I'm going to vote, yeah, yeah, I'll vote, I'll vote, but actually getting out of bed in the morning, going to work, taking off work, going to vote, coming back, or on the way home, people say, well, what, what, what would one vote make a difference? Yeah. My vote will make a difference. So they don't vote. 
Whereas just sitting around and have a, a Democratic activist knock on your door and said, we found out that you're not registered. We're going to same day register. OK, here's here's a ballot and we'll hand hand deliver. And here's who you should vote for. That's a lot easier than getting up and going all the way out to the polls. So that was abortion and the balloting not being organized to get out the vote. And then they don't have the money. They do not have the money. The money is on the left, and the left spends it much more. So if they're going to win a year from now, this should be a very this is a very valuable wake-up call because there was a sense of complacency given these anti-Biden polls that were coming out. Well, we don't we're just coast, you know, Biden's toast. He yeah, he's toast, but it doesn't mean his party can't win. He can be a non-composmentist, he can be in a coma. And they can wheel him out in a hospital gurney and he will win if you don't watch out. So raise money, find a strategy to deal with the abortion issue and watch the polls and get everybody to mail in their ballot. (laughs) Have a massive vote harvesting, ballot curing, you name it. Tit for tat. Just what they do, you do twice. If you don't do that, you're going to play by the Marcus of Queensberry lose. You're going to be a noble loser, and they're going to be an ugly winner. And you can pick which one you'd rather be. Yeah. Well, what were your thoughts then on the debate, um, and and how the Republicans are showing in those? <laughs> I, I don't really quite understand it myself because you don't you have Trump. It. I watched it here at, on my TV, and I watched an hour and a half. And the first thing is Trump is not there. Yes. So you're really having a debate for the second person. If you count today's polls, Trump is anywhere from 45 to 46 percent of the primary voters. And DeSantis is 18. And Haley is 16. And Ramaswamy is eight. And Scott is four. And you add them all up, then they have more than Trump does. Trump won the 2016 nomination without a majority of all the votes. But he got by far the most votes. So they said, then we're going to unite on behind. That was the old Bill Crystal never Trump pipe dream, and they could never do it. Trump just made sure that didn't happen. So it's not going to happen if less they can unite among the people who come out of Iowa, New Hampshire with the most votes. And then that the other person should concede if they want to challenge Trump. But uh, I don't know what Chris Christie is doing on the stage. I do not know what Scott, I like him, but what is he doing on the stage? Their polls are anemic. I don't know what Ramaswamy's 8%. He's funny. It was kind of predictable. He went after Nikki Haley to destroy her and call her all sorts of names, Dick Cheney and high heels, stuff like that. And then she went, it was kind of like (laughs) dominoes or I don't know, some kind of chain where the person, Scott, goes after Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy goes after Haley. Haley goes after DeSantis. And it's all based on you go after the person that's pulling ahead of you. Yeah. And then the idea is that you come out of the debate and then you tell everybody else to unite behind you. But uh, the only difference that I can see in the candidates is Haley, Christie, and uh, Haley and Christie and Scott want to give a blank check to Ukraine. 
and uh, I guess you would say DeSantis and who else? Ramaswamy. Yeah, they just, well, Ramaswamy didn't want to give them a damn cent anymore. No. But <laughs> DeSantis wants to give them the wherewithal to protect themselves and get back the land of 2014. Excuse me, 2022, but not on to Moscow, you know, yeah. fight over the Donbass and Crimea ad infinitum. So that was an issue. I don't think, I, I, I don't know what Haley's talking about, fracking. DeSantis inherited a, a, a state where they'd had oil spills. So it was written into their legislation that you couldn't frack off the coast. So she was saying that he was for that. It was just... It was very boring, Sammy. <laughs> I mean, I kept falling asleep. And I thought that DeSantis had a very good, he was very good. That was the most animated he was. He had a command of the fa facts. Haley was, I thought she wasn't as dominating as she was the last time. Ramaswamy was, I don't know what it is. I, I like what he says, but he's so obnoxious. So when he tells, tears apart the moderators, I hadn't seen that since Newt Gingrich did that. 2012 but you know he said we should have joe rogan here and that was tucker carlson and elon musk and he said not you guys you guys are the ones that went in for the russia right. hoax i know exactly. i know i mean democrats don't have fox after fox after fox right yeah but they should just have fox because all the rest of them are biased and they but so that was good but then when he go he goes after I don't know who he was going after. He goes out. I said he's going after Haley, but he went after everybody. And he's he's very he's got all these canned slurs and he's not going to be nominated. Yeah. And I didn't understand about the whole China thing and TikTok. And I, did he say Haley's daughter has a TikTok app? She has a tip yeah, <laughs> on her phone. And so he was yeah, accusing well, her via her daughter. Which she is can say stupid. he ran a company with a huge portfolio in China. <laughs> um, he said, "She's a she's a multimillionaire because of her foreign investments, yeah. or defense contracting, revolving door, whatever." But she doesn't have as much money as he does, and he made a lot of it in China. Yeah. So again, I'm just watching this. I think all of our listeners are listening to this, and we're thinking, "There's really only one issue, and that is, is Donald Trump going to be the nominee?" And that's predicated on how he handles these four crushing indictments, gag orders, uh, house, maybe house confinement, who knows, and whether the other candidates can unite behind one person. And this didn't, what's going on right now doesn't clarify that. Yeah. And so Donald Trump is, his whole family are being persecuted. It's really pathetic by this crazy Latita James and this Gorgonic Mosinter judge. And uh, it's just a question of how's that going to play out? And it's beyond our hands right now. Yeah. It's, it's in the hands of four prosecutors that are left-wing and four left-wing judges and three left-wing juries. And Donald Trump's 76 years old, and he has reason to be really pissed off, if I could use that expletive. And as far as the other candidates... People are going to lose interest. Donald Trump gets on that stage and it's going to be electrifying and they'll get a huge audience, but they can't coax him or slur or slander him on that stage. And uh, I was naive. I think I said to our audience, I don't know what Donald Trump is going to do for each of these debates, but 
you know, he was on Tucker. That was what good. But now he's not getting he's not getting the attention. But the point I didn't realize is there is no attention. You know what I mean? There's not people aren't glued to their TV sets watching this debate. No. So no. He, it's not like he's losing a venue. No, isn't he having a rally tonight? I think. Yeah, he's well, going to have rallies. He's going to talk to Tucker, whatever. But they they can't. They don't have the ability to get the attention. And part of it is that this is ridiculous to have Scott and Ramaswamy and Christie on that stage. It should be the two top people. That right now is DeSantis and Haley. They agree almost everything with Trump on social policy. Their arguments against Trump is Haley is, let's look forward, and he was good for his time, but his time has passed. And DeSantis's argument is he do, he didn't do he didn't build the wall he didn't drain the swamp he ran up the debt okay then have them to debate that they can debate Ukraine they can debate abortion they can debate all these issues and let's see how they do in, up to I don't know South Carolina and then one of them will be ahead of the other one yeah and more viable and then they should do a Joe Biden they should all get out who's left and endorse the person and then. That person and Donald Trump should debate. And we'll see. People haven't seen if Trump's rusty or he's still himself. We don't know how these candidates will do, do against Trump. No. And then we got to get it over by May, April. Then everybody has to unite among the winner. Nobody should be on that stage who says, if I don't get the nomination, I'm not sure that I won't endorse somebody. Everybody gets on that stage says, I will endorse the winner. Yeah. These people don't have any idea how close we are to oblivion, the traditional conservative movement. On every issue, we are getting killed. We're getting killed on the border. We're getting killed on crime. We're getting killed on inflation. We're getting killed on the economy. We're getting killed on physical sobriety. We're getting killed on foreign policy. We're getting killed on the cultural issues. Um, you mean we're getting killed as citizens who are now subject yes. to the policies of the left? Yes. Our representatives are not able to translate 51% opposition to the Biden agenda into meaningful electoral re- wins. Yeah, they yeah. can't. They can't win. That was one thing Christy uh, Santa said that was correct. Yeah. He said a lot of the good things, but he, he said, you know, we've got to win. And if you don't win and you lose the 2018 midterms and you lose the House and then you, in 2000, um, you lose the Senate in 2020 and then you lost, you're, you don't have either one and then you are supposed to take it back in 2022 and you get a meager five or six seat advantage and you only have half of one third of government. And then you're all fighting about the speaker and you're fighting this and this. And meanwhile, the people say the, there's eight million people here. And you see Mallorca's he's been on there. He just basically sticks his middle finger at those people. He said, I'm not going to answer anything. I'm just going to. Yeah, nah, 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 nah. And I don't know. I don't know. Some they should impeach him. They really should. Yeah, they should, that would really get the attention of the country. They should say, you know what, eight million people, and then they should run ads with him not answering questions, and with the backdrop of that open border and millions of stats going like trailers across the screen. Eight million people. He has done more damage, and believe me, he and Dick Durbin and 
the whole Chuck Schumer and the Senate and Joe Biden, they will let in a million Gazans. That's one of the reasons they're going to get out of this whole thing, because they feel that they might lose the Arab vote or the world, the moderate regimes. Are, once they say, well, we're going to let them in, then everybody thinks, wow, this was worth it. We're going to get a million more of these guys to be at Harvard Yard or the Stanford well, Free yeah. Speech or out in New York blasting Jews and river to the sea chants. And wow. More oil, golf oil money for more professorships in the Middle Eastern study, all this. Yes, if they let in a million Gazans, we'll be happy. And so everybody's got to wake up, man. We're, we're looking at some things we have never seen before. Never seen 100,000 Americans killed by fentanyl. We've never seen cartels basically run the border. We've never seen that many people come in. We've never seen a... I don't know what you'd call it, a chain of disaster with the Chinese balloon and the Afghans, Afghan humiliation in Kabul and the Ukrainian invasion, and now Gaza, and then t the overt talking about war from China. Never seen all of that in my lifetime. And then when you look at the economy, uh, he keeps saying Bidenomics because, you know, unemployment rate is 4%. Well, it... <laughs> you were in COVID and everybody wasn't working. So they poured tons of money in and they created this artificial demand and they spiked inflation and they were short workers. And so, of course, the unemployment rate is pretty good. But if you look at food and fuel and housing and health care from January 21st of 2021 to December 9th, 10th, 2023, it's gone up 25%. And people can't afford it. Yeah. I bought a little ribeye steak again today. <laughs> it was $26. And the little thing looked like my heel on my shoe. <laughs> it, was, it was about a quarter inch. It was like five minutes on the grill and it looked like a burnt dog tongue or something. And it's that was ribeye. You're going to be have to become a vegetarian. <laughs> you have to do something. And then I filled up today and they had a big sign, you know, it's under five dollars, five eighty eight a gallon. Wow. Four eighty eight a gallon. And what was it when Trump came in or was, uh, uh, when remember. he left? It was, it was like, like two fifty. It was two forty nationwide in California. Yeah. It got down below three dollars. Yeah. And you know, sad. It was, it was <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's I don't want to be I know I just watched this debate and it's evening and I've been up since four in the morning kind of writing about all this. So I'm just I guess I'm what despairing today. Yeah. I, I cheer I, you up. I, I can cheer me up. man. Well, I want to give me some good news. I don't know what you're going to talk. Ask me, but let's go. OK, so let's first take a break. So everybody stay with us. We're going to do some cheering up here and we'll come right back and talk a little bit more. This is the Victor Davis Hanson show. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe, now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back. Yes. So, Victor, um, maybe I, I was thinking that this manifesto by Audrey Hale that was released <laughs> yeah. to Steven Crowder, um, it, it at least they got we got some of it, three pages, and she had a lot of um, uh, slurs and cracker. Uh, yeah, little cracker and, and, and white privilege. White, white, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody realizes that if you make a national dialogue narrative and you keep saying white privilege, white privilege, white people, white people, white rage, white rage, white supremacy, white supremacy, and that's okay in a way that would be absolutely forbidden to substitute black for white, Latino for white, Asian for white, trans for white, gay for white, okay, even women for white. And you keep doing it, it filters down. And so you get these, this crazy trans shooter and she's full of racism, but she thinks that somehow that she's going to demonize these innocent little kids and call them crackers and white privilege. And that's going to somehow in her mind and for posterity justify the mass murdering she did. And it's everywhere now. The whole subtext of this crazy, these crazy demonstrations here in the United States with these pro-Hamas, river to the sea, get rid of Israel, is that we and the DEI movement have fused with the Palestinians. And just as we're against white male privilege, white rage people who can't take the fact that, uh, can't admit they, they believe in white supremacy, so Israel is. Israel is. Israel is a white colonial interloper imperialist, just like white males in this country. And, and that is a, is a drawback. And then, you know, we had, we have all these things. Now it's uh, Buffy St. Marie. I grew up listening to her songs. She's a faker. So once you say white, 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 white is horrible, then you're going to have all these white people faking identities. Just like you, when you said black people are horrible, you had people trying to be white. And now you're trying to be non-white for careerist advantage or survival. <laughs> And you got to stop it. And when Mark Milley or Lloyd Austin get in front of the country and they they start praising this crazy Kendi that it can't even, you know, 50 million bucks disappeared on his research center was whole predicated on his book that says that you have to be racist to stop racism. And you quote that guy with praise, you're going to have 50 million, you're going to have 50,000 people not showing up. And it's very funny about the military. They say, oh, their people are too fat. They're in gangs. They take drugs. They've always been fat. They've always taken drugs. But right now, abruptly, you're 50,000 soldiers short. Maybe it's Kabul. Maybe it's uh, you keep promoting people on the basis of DEI. Maybe you make fun and you say that these people are irredeemable or they're deplorable or they're clingers or they're dregs or they're chumps or they're semi-fascist. Whatever it is, that is resulting in this massive lack of recruitment, this drop-off. 
and it's got to end. And if we learned anything from this Hamas hysteria is you've got to get rid of the entire DEI and you've got to go back to a Martin Luther King Jr. moment when he said, and at least he said in the the origins of civil right, that you did not want to look at a person's skin color or race. We're just going to have to get rid of it. And then we're going to have to have a meritocratic situation. And maybe that means no legacies, no rich people pay off Harvard to let their kid in. Fine. Make it pure merit. And if one particular group doesn't get in enough medical students, then you say, you know what? Start opening institutions in the inner city or the barrio or the suburbs, wherever you live and you think you're inordinately represented, do what the Asians do. They don't cry. They just go out and they make a institutional cultural ethos that says we're going to study, 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 study and beat the majority at their own game. And they do. And every more power to them. And if people do not want to be feel that they're disproportionately represented, then stop it. But don't cry and yell and scream. Not in 2023. This is not 1965. And so. My advice and my attitude is for the African-American community, the Latino community, any community that feels they're disproportionately represented, then start opening charter schools in your neighborhood, prep academies, uniforms, mandatory Latin calculus, and beat the majority at its own game. And I know you can do it because look at just sports, for example. Um, Would I say, wow, the most important thing and the highest, the most prestigious uh, celebrity billet is to be an NBA star. You're a universal global star. You're, you become a near billionaire. You're all over TV. You get all of these. I want to be part of that. And you say, well, Victor, it's a meritocratic. I'm sorry. Your kid is not going to make it. And I said, well, wait a minute. He's white male. And there's only 30% of the NBA, it's not even that high, I think, are, are white. And yet they make up 69% of the population. So I want my little quota. Yeah. And so just as the SAT score has to be adjusted for college admissions, I say that anybody who's white, should, if he has a shooting percentage of 25%, you up it to 50. Yeah. Just arbitrarily by, by fiat. And then we'll get, this, we'll get proportional representation. And the result would be a very uninteresting NBA. Yeah. You, nobody would watch it. Yeah. And so you've, you just have to have meritocratic standards across the board and get rid of this obsession and fixation with race. Because if you don't, it's going to end up to what we saw in Nashville with a shooter. It's going to end up with people yelling, screaming on the Brooklyn Bridge they want to destroy Israel. It was very telling when... Someone interviewed, it was a clip on the internet, and they went up to a young Palestinian supporter, and she was yelling, you know, genocide, genocide, Joe Biden, all this. And they said, well, what do you want? And she said, I want to free Palestine. And she, they said, well, explain what that means. And she says, go back to 1947. Mm-hmm. So she said it, and, and that was full of hatred. And she thought that was permissible to say it because there's no downside. And there's no downside because she thinks she's a member of the diversity, equity, inclusion community. And therefore, they cannot be racist. Get rid of it all. And everybody, as I said before, luce libre. It's a free free for all. Let everybody get in the arena of ideas and careers and, and compete with each other. 
and up the bar of excellence. Yeah. And then the people who can't compete then have people tutor them and mentor them and find a niche where they do very well. Yeah. And don't leave them at the wayside. But this idea that you're lowering standards and you're going into pre-civilizational tribalism, it'll lead to more and more people shooting people and saying, you know, they're crackers or they're just this, this, this. Every time I've seen a clip from The View or I see these network um, drama, they just say it as if it's, I can't believe it's nonchalant, white privilege, white supremacy, white, 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 white. The other day I was looking at the direct TV, you know, movies on the guide, and it was white men can't jump, and white whitey, and white the the, the titles of movies. There so these white. leading people don't realize There's that what they're doing is very racist. What they're saying is very racist. I think racist they realize by, it. I, You think they do? I think they don't. I think they they think they're being moral, and that this well, they think they're Jim being moral, Crow but they don't. Is, and I'll give you an example. What I really the reason I'm kind of ranting right now is because I was watching the Talib censure vote. Mm-hmm. So she censored, and then she gets the squad, people of color, AOC, Ilian Amor, Presley, and then Talib herself. This is about a person of color. This is about black. No, it's not. You people are pushing a lie that says that Israel blew up a hospital. And that lie led to riots and death throughout the Middle East and riots here at home. And you still promulgate it because it's Jews. You people, Talib, especially put on your social media from the river to the sea. That means no Jews anywhere else between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean. There's a lot of literature that goes all the way back to the, the founding charters. That slogan, it's an ancient slogan. And they know it. And they know they're anti-Semite racist. And yet they feel that they can say, I'm part of the DEI. I'm a black woman. I'm a poor woman. I'm a person of color. And bam, we're all going to say, okay, you can say you can be as anti-Semitic as you want. I'm sorry. No, everybody's going to have to say, look, you're an individual and with free will. And you're going to be judged by the content of your character and what you say and do. And we don't care what you look like. And Ms. Tlaib you are an upper, upper class elite. And Miss Omar, once you left your home in Somalia and you came over here, this country gave you subsidized education. You are an elite. You married probably your brother to get over here and we let that go. And now you married your campaign manager that you were funneling money through. Bam. And AOC, you're an elite. Don't believe it. You you're an elite. You've had a pampered life. You were a suburban Connecticut girl. Don't tell us that you've been a victim. And Oprah, don't tell us anymore that you go to a Swiss boutique and somebody doesn't show you a $75,000 alligator purse quick enough and therefore they're racist. Or Michelle, don't tell us that you were in a Target and somebody asked you because you're very tall compared to the short woman to reach up and you felt that that was racist. We're just sick of it. Yeah. Just go out and live your life. And from now on, I think everybody that's listening and everybody in this country holds everybody to the same standard, no matter what they look like, no matter what their pedigree is. This is 2023. And if you start judging and castigating and smearing entire groups, Jews, whites, whoever they are, without any collective, any interest that they're they're made up of a lot of individuals. And in the case of this white supremacy, I wanted to say to Millie when he was saying that, I wanted to say to him, 
if I, I just one, one of my dreams when I watched that horrible June 2022 testimony, maybe it was 2021. And he was going on about reading Kendi and he wanted remember that in yeah, Austin. I thought stupid. Just a minute. What group has the highest suicide rate, General? What group has the only what ethnic racial group is the only group that life expectancy is declining? What particular group suffered inordinately from fentanyl destructive behavior that led to mass death? What particular group had died at twice their demographics in combat and Iraq, could it be the people you say are enjoying all these privileges just because you as a Princeton person and a very blessed person have a lot of privilege and you say that everybody in your, that happens to have an incidental resemblance to you shares that privilege? You should go out and look and go down to Tulare and talk to people. Go in the Sierra foothills and see poor whites. They're among the poorest people you'll ever find. And so this idea that we're just going to lump everything makes me really upset. Yeah. And I have a just a, you know, when I have close friends that I've known for 50 years and I haven't seen in a while and I see them, whether they're former students or colleagues, and the intervailing time, time frame has been woke, right, in DEI. So say I saw them in 2015 or 17 or 18, and then woke came right with George Floyd and got its pinnacle. And then they start almost immediately assuming that you're on the same page with them. Well, I'm the, uh, you know, as a person of color, and I, I didn't realize that I was discriminated against. And my, uh, my mom told me a story the other day, what a racist. I just say, that's it. Bye. It's not that I'm in denial. It's that they are fabricating and creating a whole new storyline because they feel that the mood of the country rewards victimhood if yeah. you can find a victimizer. I usually say, well, who did this to you? Who did this to you? Who did this to you? You know? Yeah. I had a student that was going on and on and on and on and on. And I saw them on an occasion about how it, he had looked back and how unfair it was. It's, who did this to you? Name me the name. Were you on scholarship? Were you competitively admitted? Did you, when you wanted an independent study, was it given to you? Were people talking, talk, go over your paper? Yes, 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 yes. Well, what was it then? Tell me. Well, this, they can't. And so if they say, well, I was poor and I, and I, we didn't have a big house. Well, join the club. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> join the club. Well, Victor, if we could turn maybe to China for a second and then some just um, independent issues. I don't want to talk about China policy broadly, but it seems to me that we just learned from their TikTok um, or from what's happened with TikTok and this anti-Semitism and this pro-Palestinian uh, movement on the camera has been really fostered by that and the Chinese are in control of what goes in and out. So it's no longer, you know, Facebook or uh, Twitter and then, you know, monitoring our, our own who own these big companies, but the Chinese now deciding what they want to put in and out. And I think that this moment has really been illustrative because I think those TikTok videos had really influenced the oh, young they generation. They're the, they're the, it's not that they're the chief form of information. It's the only form for young millions of people. And it's all run by the Chinese Communist Party. Scary. And when you add that in, 
to um, fentanyl going through Mexico and then feeding us, our kids, TikTok and buying farm. It, it, it just baffles me because it's so asymmetrical. What right now if we were, it was the 19th century, we were sending opium again to China like the British did? Or what if it was, I don't know, the 1930s and we were going and buying up all the farmland in China, huh? Or we had some kind of propaganda where all the media in China was, or their youth were lapping up our newspapers or something. And they would go crazy. So I, I think no, I don't think people understand human nature. I really don't. And they're, you, they don't understand the tragic sense of human nature. And that is, we all wish the Sermon on the Mount was the operative. But remember, the Sermon on the Mount is counterintuitive. It is antithetical. It's heterodox. It's trying to introduce a new way of thinking contrary to human nature. And it's trying to improve human nature. Doesn't mean it's successful because Jesus died on the cross. But it's, it's the aspiration to do that. But if you don't understand human nature and you think that by letting China buy your farmland or buy, control the thoughts of your children or poison your youth with drugs, that they're going to look at that magnanimity and reciprocate, you're crazy. There's nothing more amoral than allowing immorality to happen because you're virtue signaling or you feel you're too morally superior. And the history is just the wreckage of bodies and corpses of self-appointed virtue signalers and performance artists who thought that they were going to show everybody they were going to turn the other cheek and got a lot of people killed. And you should read what Chamberlain, when Stanley Baldwin died uh, after World War II, they asked Churchill and he said it would be, it would have been better if that man had never lived. And he was a member of the conservative party and Churchill had begged him to up the production of hurricanes and to speed the development of spitfires and he wouldn't do it. And he's, you know, the bomber always gets through. The bomber always gets through. We can't stop it. And so Churchill was, he was really, he was right on. That man would have been, we would have been better off. That man never lived. And you feel that sometimes with what we're doing now in the Middle East. You know, I don't know what we're doing with Blinken and Sullivan and Biden, but they don't understand human nature. This pause, what is that intended to to do. And this morning, uh, Blinken warned Israel against a Gazan occupation or blockade. Like, what are they? They're adding stupid to stupidity. I don't. I don't. You remember that little speech on October seventh, Biden, when he got his little reptilian look, and he said, "I stand with Israel, rock hard, no exceptions, always." Well, I thought to myself, three days or four. That's the first thing I, I think I said here on that one with Jack. I said it'll be about four days when the pressure starts. And any other country that suffered that, what would Putin do if a bunch of Ukrainians had had a commando raid into Russia and raped Russian women and baked a child and beheaded and committed necrophilia? What would he have done? He would have nuked them. And what would the Chinese do if the Uyghurs broke out of one of their camps and did that? They, and what would they say if if there's a million people in a camp? And by the way, I'm not suggesting the Palestinians are in a camp, but there's a, a million Wagers in education or work camps. Let's say 2,000 break out and they kill and mutilate 1,000 Chinese. I bet you there's not going to be a million Wagers anymore. 
And for those countries to lecture us and even to listen to that is, is crazy. And what would the Palestinians, I, I, I don't understand, what, what, what were they, what are they thinking? That the IDF has not responded? It's October 7th. You get news that there's these horrible mutilations and killing and beheadings. And the first thing you do is go out in the street and start cheering and saying you want to destroy Israel. And everybody's going to look at that and say, wow, I think we should have more of these students. They're very informed. They're expressing their right of dissent. This is very impressive. I think I'm going to change my view about Israel. Is that what they thought? Yeah. Anytime you have two groups, one group doesn't wear a mask, the other do wears mask. One group doesn't tear down posters, the other group does. One group doesn't start getting in your face and trying to have conf confrontations with the police, one group does. One group has placards that call for mass death, the other group doesn't. And you look at the Jewish, pro-Jewish, and look at the pro and they, they are just, it's just a reduction of the whole, the whole struggle over there. All the issues, Palestine versus Israel, are reified on the streets of America in the different attitude, tone, etc. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's, that's just the way it is. It is. Well, Victor, let's go to a break and then come back for my other Chinese question. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back. And Victor, so my second thing about China is, and I know that we've already talked about Newsom going over there and his plans, but now he has invited the Chinese Premier Xi over here, and he's actually cleaning up San Francisco. And I thought, wow, that's a really nice thing. I wish, you know, and running for office, we know too, that we're getting a lot of things that should be done, done now. Um, but I, I was wondering if... Um, what you thought on on that, and then also just uh, I, I was reading an article on crime in El Salvador, and they were talking about that president there who's just rounding up and arresting <laughs> and putting into prison all the gang members, and their daily crime rate in 2015 was 18.2 people a day, and now in 2022, 1.2. Um, people incident of, per day of violent offenders. Yeah, of of um, I think it's murders. Murders per hundred thousand in the population. 
Yeah. Yes. Well, and, I mean, but, where did they get the idea? They got the idea from California, three strikes and you're out. So that started in Fresno, California. And what did we do? We said, if you've committed three felonies, you're not going to get out, period. And then we went out and built all these prisons everybody got upset about. And guess what? By 2005, 2008, we had the crime rate had just crashed in California. And you could go. Um, I used to speak for National Review at their regional uh, NRO symposium in San Francisco. And it was, I don't know, a mile from the hotel. I would walk out. I'd come back at 1030 at night. The streets were immaculate, lights glaring, people singing, walking around. Go to New York I, for a publicity for a particular book. 2007, 2010, gosh, I thought it was safer than Selma, California. And you get rid of all of that and you get what we have now. Newsom's got a losing proposition. The idea that you're going to go over and seek out in a humiliating fashion the premier of China uh, at a time when he's threatened to destroy Taiwan. And we have these wars in Afghanistan and Gaza. And you do all these photo ops, the profile, the sunglasses, the basketball, all that stuff, the kayak, and you, and you think you're going to project an image of young vigorousness and can-do JFK. And you're going to do that with the background of this horrific nation that is, this party is the worst party in the history of civilization. If you adjudicate that by number, it's killed. 60 to 80 million people under Mao. And they haven't renounced that. They embrace Mao. So my point is, and then you're going to invite him over here, and then you will not do anything for the people of California when you were lieutenant governor of governor. But you will if a communist thug is coming over. Then you're going to start to look at the border. You're going to start to look at homelessness. And in particular, if you're going to run against Joe Biden, suddenly you're going to have people outside picking up, you know, trash on 101 or 99 and they're going to on I-5 and all of a sudden you're going to start build, rebuilding the roads that are in horrific shape. You're going to look at the border. It's so transparent. It's really awful that China, that the Chinese government gets more attention than the voters of California. Do you think that's going to be a winning message? I'm going to do for America. I'm going to do for America what I did for California, and I'm going to have a new era of cooperation. He's a strategic partner, Chi, and we're going to have a close partnership with China. And therefore, it's kind of like the Iran deal transferred to Taiwan. You know what I mean? The more that we appease Iran, the less likely they'll get a bomb, and the nicer they'll be to Israel. And it doesn't work. I wish it did work, but it does not work. Well, my last subject then is Saudi Arabia. And I was I'm reading on it today because I was wondering what its interests were since it was so close to some sort of normalization with Israel. At least that's the word that they use. But I came across something interesting that there's a lot of um, large banks and financial concerns that are worried that Saudi Arabia, with maybe some others in the Middle East, just like OPEC in 1973, might create an oil crisis to punish the United States for helping Israel in this conflict. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Well, it wouldn't be to punish the United States for, for our support of Israel. It would be more 
complex in this, I shouldn't say complex, more cynical. Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and the Emirates, all of them, except for Qatar, they want Hamas destroyed because Hamas stirs up terrorism uh, and they have no legitimacy. They haven't been elected. So they don't they never know what public opinion is and they don't want terrorists killing them, their their people and trying to. And they don't, especially do not want Iran with that high profile as the genuine revolutionary Jacobin sponsor. So they want Hezbollah out and they want Hamas out. But their attitude is this. They tell us we want them out, but Israel is giving us bad publicity. So what we're going to do is the following. To quell our violence in the streets and keep our authenticity among our masses that can't vote, we're going to damn Israel every minute. And by a certain association, you too, America. Now, you're not supposed to pay any attention to that. Just forget it. But you tell the Jews in Israel to kill them. Kill them all. Because if we're going to take all this flack from our own people and we have to attack you to vent it, it has to be worth something. And the prices that we're all paying is you got to get rid of Hamas. And it would be nice if you take out Iran and Hezbollah. Okay. There's two things they do not want to happen. They do not want to go through with the Abram Accords or to do anything that shows they're less than hostile to the West if the United States is weak. So they don't want to crawl out on a limb and have us sought out. They don't want any more Iraq wars or Afghanistan debacles. What they want is... They want it. They want it all their way. And what they want is we don't want the Russians in here. We've dealt with them before in the Cold War. We do not want the Chinese. We want you because for all our anti-Western rhetoric and all our hate America, we understand that you are the most transparent and fair of all the superpowers and you have the power. You'll keep the sea lanes open. And when we boycott you or we have embargoes, you won't attack us. And you could blow us out of the sky in two seconds. We understand that. Out of the water, out of the land, everything. So we want you to be superpowers, but we don't want you to intervene with these optional wars, Libya. And we don't want you to do that. And when you destroy these radical crazies among us, don't rub it in. Just do it reluctantly. Do it at night. Just because we can't, we can't control the population. And you have to be sophisticated enough that when we attack you, you understand it's crocodile tears. It's fake. Now, that's a lot to ask of us, yeah. especially after 9-11. But that's what their attitude is. So, And they're not going to do anything with an oil embargo because, or an oil cutback for very long because this war in Ukraine will end. And when it ends, Russian oil will be flowing like crazy to make up for all the losses and costs and debt they have. Yeah. And this administration won't be here forever. And the next, if it's Haley, DeSantis, or Trump, they have one thing in common. They'll open Keystone. They'll open Anwar. They'll start federal leasing. They'll frack. And we'll get way up on production. And so, well, that's an optimistic outlook. Well, that's what they're talking. Tough. That's yeah. why they're afraid, because yeah. they want to get they want to get their money now. Yeah. Because they understand that when once Russia, United States is self-restraining their uh, their production, and Russia can't get to its markets fully, and when those two are unleashed, the, the first and I guess the first and second 
with Saudi Arabia, the top three exporters. I think even now we're exporting four million barrels a day. Mm. So that, I don't take that too seriously. Um, are they, are, is our res- I mean, what is Joe Biden doing about our reserve? It seems to me the last nothing. time we I were mean, talking, bought, it's almost he, empty. Is that what the deal is? Yeah, he, he's, I think he took two thirds of it. It was, it was near the top. Yeah, and Trump bought it as soon as he heard it was thirty-five bucks a, a barrel. He went out and bought hundreds of millions of it. Now it's going to be up to a hundred, and I think he tried to, as a show of sincerity, did he buy something like <laughs> I don't know what it was. It was something like several thousand barrels at the high price, but it's just a joke. Yeah, he took out a million barrel, million and a half barrels a day. Now it's right too expensive to fill it back up. Yep. No, he didn't want to do that. Yeah. His remember what his attitude was. Everybody, it was. I hate this goo- gooey, sticky, smelly, awful oil. Therefore, we're not going to drill it at Anwar. Therefore, we're not going to work with the Canadians to bring it in on Keystone. We're not going to do the Continental Pipeline. And we're not going to have new federal leases, and we're going to cut back. However, when gas gets up to five or six a gallon, like Stephen Chu and Obama wanted, I may lose the midterm. So I'm going to go beg all of the illiberal regimes in the world, Venezuela, Iran, Russia, yes, and we did. And would you please pump this ugly stinky, gooey stuff that we have in abundance more than you do, but we, being morally superior, will not touch it. So you do it and give it to us, and then we can say we're not doing it. That was the attitude. And they didn't like it. And so half of me looks at, I think half of our listeners look at what we've done overseas, and we, we wonder why these countries treat us with disdain. And it's because we're arrogant and ignorant at the same time with this administration. We tell everybody what to do, but we're weak, you know, or we we lecture the Afghans on gender studies. We put, I don't know, 700 million bucks over 20 years to make sure we have trans classes and stuff. We get the pride flags flying and then we we're weak and we pull out and all the people who bought into that crazy woke agenda and DEI or will probably be headed now in Kabul. Yeah. And same thing with uh, the balloon. It just goes over. See, there's certain things that, that the world looks at. And I get emails from people all over the world, and, and they're, they're, they're often just amazed. They'll say things like, Victor, the balloon, it just goes over every day. And you can't stop it? Even if it isn't a completely effective spy balloon, do you understand what it's telling the world? What would you think China would do if you did this? Or, Victor, the border, what is going on? You know these people are coming across. You know they're illegal. You know they're destroying the whole concept of legal immigration. You know there's terrorists coming in. What, what, why what, are you that inert, impotent? You can't stop that? Or they'll say, you know that these people are felons. They're looting these stores. You can't put everything behind a cage. Why can't you just arrest them and put them in jail? Or they'll look at the, the Los Angeles, the, all these camps with the feces everywhere and people fornicating, and they'll say, what, can't you do anything with these people? So they look at all of this, and 
And it's like we all woke up from a night. We went to sleep and we woke up and we looked around and it's an, it's Alice through the looking glass. It's an inverse world. It doesn't make sense. And we think it's all correctable very easily. If you had a conservative president that had support in the Congress, but he could stop all this in six weeks. You think so? Yes, yes, yes. He could stop it in six weeks. He could finish that wall in three months, maybe two months. And he could build, he could have a Marshall plan. He could have people building it on all different, both sides in the middle. Each county does their 20, 20 miles, 30 miles. He could just round up anybody who cannot prove they're a U.S. citizen that came, deport them. You deport a million people and nobody will want to come in here. No. Yeah, and of he could take, he could have a federal task force that says, you know what? Anybody's selling all this stuff, they're, they're hijacking cars or they're breaking in, smash and grab, they're selling Gucci per, across state lines, puts it on the internet. It's a fe federal offense and they could clamp down. Yeah. And then if they had the house, they could bring in people in the bureaucracy and, and really the DOJ and start charging them with crimes that they're guilty. The, the, you get the Biden family and you start charging them with what they did, and people wouldn't do that anymore. It would really help to clean up politics. Yeah. When you have the President of the United States thinks he can get money without tax consequences by just having on the bottom of the payout loan repayment with no documentation there ever existed loan, then that's pretty cynical when he's barnstorming the country and telling everybody that rich have to pay their fair share. Yeah, it sure is. Well, Victor, thank you for all your wisdom today. We're at the end of the show. I'd like to thank your listeners, too. We really appreciate your comments and your your you as our audience. So thanks a lot. Yes, and I, I was ranting today, but I think it was a, a mixture of watching the debate and hearing the depressing news of the elections in Virginia and Ohio and Kentucky, and then looking at Joe Biden and Blinken completely reneging on their braggadocio of the early October 7th to 10th, and now just trying to sell Israel out. And then looking at all of these protests and thinking, where is their deliverance? <laughs> Who shall... <laughs> Who shall come and save us? It's is there the a dark man? valley. Victor. We don't want. To, we don't want to say we want a man on a horse to ride in, but somebody has to. Where's our William to come to Sherman? Where's our George S. Patton? Where and, is oh, sorry, Teddy Roosevelt? Where, yeah. where are these people? And they're not here anymore. And where's our Winston Churchill? Somebody could come in and look at that. And somebody out there's Victor, Victor, Victor. Things have been much more. Serious. Churchill came in. All of Europe and the EU was in Nazi hands. The United States was isolationist. Soviet Union was collaborationist, supplying the wherewithal to bomb London during the Blitz. And he was alone. Britain was broke. Half their imports were being sunk by U boats. And what did he do? We will fight on the beaches. What do I have to say? Victory. Victory. Victory at all cost. So, oh, and his blood, sweat, and tears. Blood, speech. sweat, and tears—the <laughs> whole thing. I mean, he just by the, we just need someone like that, and and uh, not somebody like Joe Biden and the people around him. Yeah, these are small minds, you know. Yeah. And now we they, 
they have they're like a one-eyed jack and you turn the card and you see the other side and you you start to look at that Corinne Jean-Pierre and boy when she's when they ask her about the anti-semitism epidemic and she scrunches her eyes and gets angry and so that I doesn't we don't we're not aware of that and then she goes right into islamophobia but you can just see that where her values are yeah and when you see these when Joe Biden when he does that grimace and he yells and screams rock salt you know what he's going to do and and then the other thing is uh, I'll just finish tonight cuz I'm ranting but I must have got five to six emails each day from Israelis. And it's like, Professor Hansen, why do people hate us? Don't they understand? Can't you, can't you guys tell everybody what happened? And I, I'll, I'll write back, and then they'll write back more. But, but they know what they did. And do you know that my cousin hired five workers in a kibbutz? Do you know that... We, that we allowed the energy. Do you know that our desalinization plant provides water for the West Palestinians? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Yes, yes, I know. And I write back, do you know what, what these people are capable of? It's sad. And everybody wants to be liked for good deeds, but the Israelis will never be liked. Not because they're not good people, but they're excellent people. Because the neighborhood in which they live. They have people who hate them for their success and hate and are envious of their wealth and freedom and security and prosperity. And they will they don't have a good envy where they want to emulate it and rival them. And so they're a destructive death cult. That's what Hamas is. Yeah. And the Israelis, it's very hard for a sophisticated society to say, you mean that for the next 30 years... We're going to have to treat these people as if they're pre-civilizational. And whenever they reach out and say, well, we want a two-state solution. Now we're going to be nice and we're going to respect they're not being truthful. Yes. Yes. You can never trust them. Again, never. And um, that's a hard thing to accept. You're going to be in a permanent garrison deterrent state. But when I, when I saw that Gaza wall firsthand, I thought, oh, my God, I thought this thing was like. The Great Wall of China or something. <laughs> yeah. Did you and it see? wasn't. It was it chain was link not. fence. I thought, oh, my God, please, please build a bigger wall. Build. Yeah. And when I heard about the guest workers, I thought, oh, my God, make sure that you take their cell phones so when they come to work, they're not photographing and calling everybody back. Please do that. You yeah. Know? And you talk to an Israeli and they say, you know, the Abrams. I said, don't think, don't mention the Abrams Accord, Abraham Accord. Don't mention the... Just mention the fact that you've got to have an M16 at every teenager's side for the rest of their lives. Yeah, every trained teenager's side, right? <laughs> want to be sure they can use it well. And we heard a lot of uh, about stories about that to speak of good stories. I think one of them we heard uh, a husband and wife put their kids into their safe room and they were facing seven Hamas um, murderers and they took out five of them before. How about those generals that were in their 60s? I think there were three of them. They heard the first thing they did, they heard they got calls from family members. They got in their car with like a pistol. And I don't know why every Israeli was not issued an M16. I I saw the other day that Biden administration doesn't want to sell them any because they're afraid they'll get into quote unquote settlers hands on the West Bank. But we should give them a mass 
shipment of automatic weapons. And they should be like the Swiss. Yeah, and absolutely. we should be too. But uh, it's kind of like, you know, just to finish, it's kind of like I walk around at night on the farm. And in the morning, I, I try to, before dark, dawn a lot, and it's dark. And I see trash thrown. I see cars parked. I see people I don't know that don't speak English. And I have the feeling, well, why don't you just, it's just mellow. It's just people. Well, nine of ten of them are. But the tenth, you don't know who, whether he is a murderer from Oaxaca or he is a cartel member from Michoacan or he is, you know, a rapist. You don't know. And anybody who comes on your property without permission has broken the law. And anybody who you see dumping trash, and I saw a car and they had trash bags in it. And he said he was looking to buy a bicycle out in the middle of an orchard. <laughs> or, you know, I'm walking very fast. I turn the corner and all of a sudden I see Mr. Refrigerator and Mr. Dryer meeting me. <laughs> and I thought, what kind of person will just go to another person's property, look around at night and throw a refrigerator into your orchard? And so does that mean I'm, I don't I shouldn't be vigilant? No, I'm vigilant all the time. I expect the worst every time because that's the only way you can live out here. And. Although I will finish this, I was kind of feeling full of myself, and we had an Israeli guest, and he came. He's a wonderful person. I won't mention who he was, but I, I, I wanted to show him my arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my grandfather's 1896 Springfield shotgun, and there was the Winchester uh, double barrel, and there was the old .30-06 uh, bolt-action single shot, and there was a, actually, there was a percussion rifle from Flintlock, post-Flintlock era, and there was a 22, uh, 22. <laughs> he said, guns, guns, these aren't guns. <laughs> Where are your automatic weapons, Victor? Yeah, that's right. Where is your pistols? Where is your Glock? These are just where, hunting where instruments. Your, <laughs> yes, these are just instruments for play. You think you're going to hold off anybody with these antiques? <laughs> and I said, well, I have a double barrel shotgun. Where are your bullets? Are they under? The, so you get uh, two shots only? <laughs> and then you look around at night when you're half asleep with your glasses off, fumbling around for two what? Eight shot, bird shot, shotgun shells. Where is your automatic shotgun with nine shots <laughs> with buckshot? You know, right at your bed, loaded. <laughs> and he really made a point. So I, that, that was very funny. Oh, I hope you've corrected that situation trying, since but, then. You know, <laughs> when you get to be seventy, you think I've got to do this. I've got to make a better will. I've got to. I've got to finally get my concealed weapons permit. I've got to start. Be learning how to shoot a pistol. I haven't done that in years. And then you think, well, I've got to write this. I got to do it. And you're older. And yeah. you think, no, there's not that much time to do the right thing. But I'm going to try on, Dece uh, da, 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 da. on December 1st, I'm going to stop speaking and traveling for two months. Yeah. 60 days, I'm going to take care of business finally. Good. And I'll, I, I'll, I'll be waiting to have loyal listeners give me advice about 
firearms. Yeah, what types of guns <laughs> to yes. have? <laughs> yes, Victor of the Sig Sauer is not as and my you know that's what I love about letters from listeners, man. That, yeah, they're they're right. Oh man, they're like geniuses. <laughs> you know, because you can say that I can talk on a lot of subjects like thin deep, but not like these guys can in detail. Because I get I get. You mentioned the Odyssey the other day, Victor, and did you did you notice what happened in Book Sixteen? <laughs> <laughs> Lines two fifty. Yes, to <laughs> yes. You mentioned a tractor, and I think you were a little hazy on the difference between the nine in lift and the eight in lift. Let me just tell you what the story is there, <laughs> and that's yeah, what's that's so perfect. nice. That's, that's why I do these podcasts. Yeah. It's like going back to school. Yeah, it sure is. Well, thank you very much, Victor, and thanks to our listeners. And this is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson, and we're signing off. Thank you for listening, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.